morning, everyone. I'm doing the Bible reading today. So we're doing uh, James. Oops, I just lost my spot. James 5, verse 13 to 20, so the last chunk of James. Um, on this Bible, it's one page 1,216. And on this Bible, it's 856. Okay? Or it's up on the screen. Which is the bigger one, I think. I'll do this one. Okay. The, power, the prayer of faith. Is any one of you in trouble? He should pray. Is anyone happy? Let him sing songs of praise. Is any one of you sick? He should call the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer will be offered in faith and the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. If he has sinned, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Elijah was a man just like us. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. My brothers, if one of you should wander from the truth, and someone should bring him back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of his way will save him from death, and cover over a multitude of sins. Amen. Uh, let's come before the, the Lord in a time of prayer, and then we'll look at this interesting passage. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this time we share together now as we can think together about your word, and we pray that you'd help us to make some sense of it, and we pray that you'd help us to build our lives on it. And We pray for your help to do this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I've got in the introduction of your outline there, uh, prayer comes naturally. Has that been your experience? Prayer just comes naturally. Well, listen to these words from Moses as he uh, sought to encourage the Israelites in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 10 to 12. Moses writes these words to the people. When the Lord your God brings you into the land... He swore to your forefathers, Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, to give a land, flowing, a, la a, large land, a land with large flourishing cities that you did not build, houses filled with all kinds of good things that you did not provide, wells you did not dig, and vineyards and olive groves you did not plant. Then when you eat and are satisfied, be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Do you see what Moses was warning the people against? He's saying, don't forget the Lord. Careful you don't forget the Lord when things are going well in the good times. You know, I find those words very interesting. Words that are written such a long time ago can ring so true today, can't they? Uh, for when does prayer come naturally to us? When does it come naturally to you? Is it in the good times when things are calm and things seem to be working out just so well in life? Is it those times when you're feeling all content and happy with your lot in life? Are those the times you find yourself on your knees in prayer? Or are those the times that we can be a bit more like the Israelites and we can be actually tempted 
to forget God in the good times. And prayer in those times uh, can sometimes take a back seat, can't it? You know, as a young man, uh, I heard a sermon from a, a Christian school teacher when I was a, a cheeky, skinny, I think 15-year-old down at the Baptist church just uh, on Gordon Street back in those days. During the sermon, uh, this uh, teacher, he was preaching that time, he reminded us in the sermon that prayer can come very naturally and easy to us. You know, I heard that and I thought, man, what's this guy going on about? Prayer can come very naturally and easy to us. And I thought to myself, you know, it takes me a bit of effort and a bit of self-discipline to sort of get organised and make prayer a priority in my life. He's saying, you know, it comes pretty naturally and easy to us. And then he said that there are times in our life that we find situations pretty complicated and very trying circumstances that prayer can come naturally. And I think I started to understand what he meant at that point as I reflected on times when I'd been dumped by a big wave and found myself with my leg rope sort of wrapped around my legs and hog tying me. Those were the times when I was trying to get up to the surface for air and find myself being flogged in the impact zone with another wave that came over the top of me. In those times when I was thinking, is this going to be it for me? Am I going to make it? Well, I can tell you now, I found prayer very natural. It came very easily to me at those times. But what about yourself? Do you find yourself swinging between those two extremes in your walk with the Lord? Sometimes it's easy to forget God uh, and your prayer life takes a back seat in the good times and yet we find a renewed zeal to come very easily to the Lord uh, when times are a bit tougher and a bit more complicated. Well, James gives us uh, words in this section of the scriptures about prayer and encourages us to maintain our walk with the Lord. And in the verses below that follow, he begins by addressing prayer in suffering. We'll have a look at that in verse 13. He says, Is anyone among you in trouble? He should pray. Now, the word translated here for trouble, it's the same word up, up there in verse 10 that gets translated as suffering. Is anyone in anyone suffering or in trouble? Well, James is saying he should pray. That's the, that's the normal Christian life. That's the right response. Now, James doesn't tell us exactly uh, what to pray, but we know that even as we come to uh, the Lord in a time of prayer, even if we're finding ourselves confused, uh, we don't know what to pray, it's still the right approach to be those people who are oriented first to seek the Lord in times of trouble. I don't know about you, but I find uh, plenty of motivation to pray to the Lord when I'm in distress, when I'm uncomfortable or when I've got a, a burdened situation. Uh, and there can be a, a great deal of uncertainty, can't there, for each one of us in this fallen world. And uh, I know certainly uh, life doesn't stay uniform. There's certain moments in life where it gets a bit trickier. Uh, when our son Ross had his brain tumour, a lot of you were praying for Ross and we were praying for Ross, there was a, a great deal of uncertainty at that time. But it's still a very appropriate response 
uh, for us to be those who keep coming to the Lord in the prayer, in prayer, in times of burdens and uncertainty. So whatever uh, you're suffering, whatever trouble you find yourself in, the godly response that James commends to you and to me is to come to the Lord in prayer. And that's the, uh, the appropriate Christian response, to leave our lives in the hands of the Lord. That's the challenge, isn't it? To trust the Lord with our troubles. Well, the next section here, in the, next, in the same verse rather, he starts to deal with times of joy in verse 13. Is anybody happy? Is anyone happy? Let him sing songs of praise. Now, the uh, word that the James actually uses at this point is the same word we use for the book of Psalms. That's the, the Psalms word. And Christians have been singing Psalms to God and, and other Christian songs ever since the church began. In fact, an example of that is uh, when Paul and Silas found themselves in prison in Philippi. They'd just healed a, a slave girl of a, an evil spirit. Uh, the owners stood to lose some money out of that and they found themselves thrown into prison. Sadly, they were, um, had been severely flogged, put their feet in stocks, uh, but at that time there was an earthquake and we read that about midnight Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the other prisoners were listening to them. It's kind of funny, isn't it? There's... Uh, there's Paul, he's in with Silas in some awful prison, a horrible situation. Uh, they've just been severely flogged and yet they can still find it uh, in their hearts to want to sing praises to God. Perhaps they're praising God because of the fact they know they're Roman citizens, they're on their way out of there. Or it could be just that they're joyful in the Lord despite very awful circumstances. Either way... James is noting that we too, if we're happy, uh, we can rejoice in the Lord too. And a natural way to do that and, and rejoice is what we do each week in church, and, and that's to sing together. Um, some of our favourite songs are actually ones that have been put together from the Psalms and some other parts of the Scriptures in the New Testament get put to words as well. And so if we're happy and we're rejoicing the Lord we can direct our, our happiness to God in song. And that's something which we can do together as well. James now turns to deal with this interesting and important topic of prayer and sickness in the next few verses. He calls, the elders are called in verses 14 and 15. If you're reading along there, is anyone of you sick? He should call the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. At this point, James notes that when it comes to sickness, the burden starts to rest on the sick person to call the elders uh, to initiate some change, perhaps, in their situation. The person's probably in a more bedridden state. He hasn't just turned up to church, but the elders are called perhaps to go to this person. And they're to pray for him as they would pray for any other person as well. Oil is included in this uh, process and it might be a reminder of 
the actions of the disciples with Jesus we read about in the gospel in Mark 6 we read they drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them oil was also used in the ancient world it seems in association with healing wounds we read this in Isaiah chapter 1 verse 6 from the sole of your foot to the top of your head there is no soundness only wounds and welts and open sores not cleansed or bandaged or soothed with oil and so oil seems to have accompanied the prayer for healing and also used in some circumstances to help the healing process and James continues in verse 15 saying that the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well the Lord will raise him up if he's sinned he will be forgiven in these verses James is talking about the prayer of faith or it's translated the prayer offered in faith and he's talking about a a genuine prayer Uh, someone actually believes the Lord can do this it's different to having a mere psychological or mental assent to the fact that God's there which James talks about even the demons know that God's there but this is an authentic request to God to heal the sick person and James describes the outcome he says the prayer will make the sick person well the Lord will raise him up furthermore James draws a possible link between sin and sickness if he is sinned he will be forgiven Now, as we handle these verses, it's important to draw upon other aspects of what the Bible teaches on this topic of sin and sickness so that we can retain a fuller appreciation of what God's Word says. The Bible doesn't offer a view of life that's like karma, that people suffer as a a punishment for sins or something committed in a previous life or something like that. The fact is that the story of Job reveals that some suffering takes place uh, because there's no apparent reason for it. Job was not aware of the discussion between the Lord God and Satan. And we're told in that book that he didn't uh, suffer because he sinned per se. That's not why he suffered. And so some suffering can take place and we'll never know the reasons why suffering happens having said that it's also important to note that the apostle paul also draws attention to problems that can grow out of sinful actions for example in 1 corinthians chapter 11 paul corrects the church for the way that they were conducting themselves during the lord's supper do you remember that section some of them were overeating and being gluttons other ones were getting smashed drunk And some people, sadly, were missing out altogether. And Paul notes that's why many of them were weak and sick. And he speaks of their sickness not as just some random act that's taken place, but as something that's linked to their ungodliness. This is what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ eat and drink judgment on themselves when he's talking about the body of christ he's talking about the church taking into account the other people that is why many among you are weak and sick and a number of you have fallen asleep and so likewise james is raising the possibility 
that there could be some sin and some sickness could be related to that. And a question can be asked, can't it? Am I sick because there is some sin in my life that I need to deal with? And the answer may well be no. There is no sin that, that I'm aware of that might be leading me to some sickness. But even, even going through the process, even asking the question, is there something in my life that is maybe related to this? It's still not a bad exercise to go through. It can be good for us to think about our lives, areas that we need to identify where we might be being rebellious in. It's true, our, our hearts are they're, they're a bit like those lawn bowling balls where you bowl and they kind of bend one way. Uh, and our hearts are a bit like that, they're inclined to being rebellious. And there are areas that we can grow in godliness, aren't there? There's, it doesn't matter who you are, by the way. You could be the godliest person in this church. There are still areas that we can all think about lifting and growing in godliness in. And so sickness could be a catalyst for some reflection. And that reflection's a good thing. If it, if it leads to repentance, if it leads to seeking to grow more godliness, if sickness does that, well, then that's not a bad exercise. But it's not saying per se that the sickness is because of sin, it's, but it still can raise the question. Now, although James writes in a very straightforward way in verse 15, and the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well, the Lord will raise him up. James must also be familiar with the fact that there are exceptions to the rule for the prayer being answered in that way. Three times Paul prays to the Lord for a thorn to be taken away from him and the Lord doesn't take it away. Furthermore, all of the apostles died. Not one of them stayed alive and will also die, one way or another, as does everyone at some point in time. I think the spirit of these verses is ultimately gearing us to be people, though, who still come to the Lord in prayer, come to the Lord in prayer about all kinds of things, particularly issues like sickness in our life. God wants us to be those who come to him in prayer, in sickness and in health. Now, as we do that, though, we still have to remember our place, don't we? We remember that we're called to do his will. His will be done, not ours. And the Christian person who prays this prayer for healing has to accept that this is not some kind of magic on our part. We can just sort of say these magic words and somehow we will be healed. We can't be twisting God's arm to do our will. That's not the, the way things work in God's universe. Jesus calls us to pray, thy will be done. And we have to be creatures, people who accept that it may not be his will to heal. And if we don't accept that, that can also be a denial of accepting this age that we live in and our current stage of salvation. This is the age for suffering. This is the age where there's sin. This is the age of grieving. This is the age before the final judgment of God and the kingdom to come in all its fullness. That's the age when the kingdom of God comes in all its fullness where there won't be any sickness. 
there's not going to be any diseases in that age and there won't be any organ failure or death or tears but that's a different stage in this age we just have to accept that God may heal of us of our sicknesses and he may not but Jesus calls us to pray thy will be done Now, handling this section of scripture can be kind of tricky at times, actually. My grandfather, Tom, had significant problems with cancer. I think it became bone cancer. And one well-meaning member of the congregation asked him, how you doing, Tom? You holding your own? which my grandfather replied with words to the effect of, oh, come on, Darcy, you know I'm not getting any better. And even with prayer from the elders and the anointing of oil, Tom died at age 44 and is with the Lord in paradise. But I think what was reported from my family was that Tom accepted God's will for him. It wasn't easy, but he accepted God's will. And I offer that account simply just to provide some balance as we handle this section of scripture because some of the members of my family of origin got discouraged in that time when Tom died. But this, whilst the spirit of this passage is for us to actually bring our prayers to the Lord and trust him in sickness and in health, uh, we also have to accept God's will one way or, way or another. I think that's just... Uh, the balance of this passage as well. James now draws attention to the challenge for people to pray for each other. In verse 16 he says, Therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. And so we see here that prayer is not uh, limited just to the elders. Uh, every Christian can uh, track the, take their trials and tribulations to the Lord in prayer. And in addition to that, the congregation is urged to confess their sins to each other and to pray for each other. You're not second-class citizens. Just as the elders have got a relationship with the Lord, if you're in Christ, if you're a member of the church, you, you have a walk with the Lord too. You can pray for each other. And this is, this is also said in the context of health problems. James offers a reason for doing this kind of thing. He says, so that you may be healed. And concludes that the prayer of the righteous person is powerful and effective. Now, the righteous person here is not uh, the person who's without sin. Uh, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's no perfect people. Uh, the righteous person is someone who's got a genuine faith, whose, whose faith in God is accompanied by works. The person who is someone who would be confessing their sin and turning back to the Lord as they do sin. And James is persuaded that God will answer prayer. It would be a misunderstanding to ask someone to pray for you because they're such a powerful prayer as though they're the spiritual equivalent of the great Houdini. The great Houdini had a good reputation for getting out of tricky binds and situations and as if we can ask someone who's a powerful prayer to get us, a, get us out of a bind. But uh, that's a denial of the gospel. If we're in Christ, 
we have direct access to the Lord. We can approach the throne of grace in prayer. We come through to the Lord through Jesus, who is the way, the truth and the life. It's because of him that God hears our prayers. And so we've also got to bear in mind it's the Lord God who answers prayers. The prayer is powerful because of the one we're praying to. And we see that in the next example in uh, verses 17 to 18. God answers prayers. Elijah, verse 17, was a man just like us. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed and the heavens gave rain and the earth produced its crops. And James is reminding us of Elijah's experience in 1 Kings chapter 17 and 18. After the Lord had rained down fire on the altar at Mount Carmel to show that the Lord was God and Baal was not in the next section, we find that Elijah prayed for rain. And Elijah said to Ahab, Go, eat and drink, for there is the sand of a heavy rain. So Ahab went off to eat and drink, but Elijah climbed to the top of Mount Carmel, bent down to the ground and put his face between his knees. Go and look toward the sea, he told his servant. And he went up and looked. There is nothing there, he said. Seven times Elijah said, Go back. The seventh time the servant reported, a cloud as small as a man's hand is rising from the sea. So Elijah said, go tell Ahab, hitch up your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. Meanwhile, the sky grew black with clouds. The wind rose, a heavy rain started falling and Ahab rode off to Jezreel. The power of the Lord came on Elijah and tucking his cloak into his belt, he ran ahead of Ahab all the way to Jezreel bit of action there but in that account we're reminded that God is the one who answers prayers he answers prayers in response to people like Elijah and seeing the way that God can answer prayer in relation to droughts uh, we are also confident that God can answer prayer in relation to medical conditions as well just as James has been writing about And you know what? Sometimes medical conditions do go into remission. It's true. Uh, there are some problems that people can have with the same medical condition where onset can be uh, different, different stages of onset of medical problems, and it can take different clinical courses. And in some circumstances, there can be inexplicable reasons for why um, things go into remission. I know a little bit about that because I've actually got a condition called palindromic rheumatism where my doctor told me, Peter, it can click over into full-blown rheumatoid arthritis or it can just disappear. And uh, what am I going to do with that problem? Well, I'm going to pray about it and friends and family can pray about it. Uh, and in my case, that, that condition hasn't got worse. Uh, that's something I'm grateful for. My situation doesn't prove anything about anyone else's situation, but it's still my experience. Uh, but the Bible teaches us to pray to the Lord and God can answer prayers. The challenge for us is to accept God's will uh, one way or another. And also to remember to look forward to the renewal of all things when God's kingdom comes in its fullness. And I won't have palindromic rheumatism then. That's something to look forward to. In the last section now, you can get ready to wrap this up. 
we're going to do with verses 19 to 20, restoring each other to spiritual health. We'll pick it up in verse 19. My brothers, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring him back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of his way will save him from death and cover over a multitude of sins. James concludes this letter with the challenge to restoring the wayward, the one who wanders from the truth. This person's described in fairly serious language. They're described as a sinner, which implies they're, they're missing the mark, they've got a hardness towards God, and they're reluctant to love the Lord. Is this the person who thinks they're a Christian, but in reality doesn't have any deeds to show that accompany a saving faith? They've got a dead faith, one that can't save. The living faith, the real faith, the genuine faith is the one that, that trusts in Jesus as our substitute, the one who dies and rises for our sin on our behalf, the person who lives with Jesus as Lord. That's the genuine faith. But what's the trajectory for this person with the dead faith that cannot save? Well, James points out that they need to be saved from death and a multitude of sins. And the death that he's talking about here is missing out on life in God's kingdom forever. Well, who are these ones who are these sinners that are wandering from the faith? Are these, are these the ones that were showing favouritism to the rich and shaming the poor back in chapter 2? Are these the ones who failed to pay the workers their wages, those who mowed and those who harvested? Is this who he's got in mind? Are these the ones who kill and covet and seek to spend what they get on their pleasures? And I'm not sure James is talking about ice cream at that point. I think he might be talking about things like the prodigal son who wasted his wealth in wild living, those kinds of pleasures. So what is the challenge from James to his first readers? What does it have to do with, for the wayward? And what does he challenge us to do with the wayward person in our life and times as well? Well, in verse 19, this person has wandered from the truth and the, the godly person, if you like, should bring him back. In verse 20... The challenge is to turn a sinner from their ways, the error of his way. That's the project, turning. Well, how does this happen, friends? It's a spiritual struggle, isn't it? And God's the one who changes hearts. But God can also use people as the means for that to happen. Through words, through our presence, through our prayers, Christians under God's good hand, have been able to encourage the wayward to revisit their life, to rethink about their lives and the futility of a life that's lived away from God and the richness of a life that's lived with the Lord. And now, you might know some stories about people who've um, done that kind of thing, people who've been a bit cool in their walk with the Lord but got their act together and realised that's, that's a dead end. And uh, you might know stories where you've been able to encourage people to... Uh, enjoy the Christian life. That kind of thing does happen and it's a, it's a good outcome, isn't it? Because it, it avoids those bad outcomes of death and a multitude of sins. And God can use people just like us. 
to bring about his plans and purposes, to restore the wayward. But above all, the challenge is for us to keep ourselves, to look to our own hearts. That's the first challenge, to walk with the Lord ourselves, to remember to come to God in times of prayer when we're in trouble, to rejoice in the Lord and come to him singing when we're happy, to pray about things like our sicknesses and troubles. This is the challenge for us to be, first and foremost, the people who walk closely with the Lord in the first place. Then we're better equipped to help those who are like the wayward. Let's um, pray that God will help us to do that. Let us pray. Lord, we give you thanks for this word this morning that uh, challenges us to think a bit more carefully about our lives and how we live before you. Lord, we give you thanks that um, you're in control of all things and that your kingdom is coming the age when there won't be any more suffering, sickness and death. But Lord, as we um, wait for that time of your consummated kingdom, uh, we pray that you'd help us to be people who trust you and be very confident that we can leave our lives in your hands and, and receive your answers to prayer one way or another. Lord, help us to be people who don't forget about you, but uh, enjoy, instead enjoy rejoicing in you in the good times. And Lord, we pray that you'd help us to walk closely with you even as we seek to encourage uh, those who may be wayward to, to rethink about uh, the richness of a life that's lived uh, in your grace uh, with your kindness and mercy to us in Christ and the fruit of that to enjoy your forgiveness and gift of life as well. Please help us to be among those who uh, walk closely with you this week and we give you thanks that we can encourage each other to do that today. And we pray for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.